special shout out to uh, our ex-year 12 students. Congratulations on finishing HSC, high school and everything. It's so good to see so many of you here this morning. So if you're in this room or next door, um, or if you're not here in person, yeah, congratulations. Great news, isn't it? I, I said to one of them that uh, I don't think there's a feeling quite like finishing 12 years of high school. Is that post-HSC feeling? It's not like the best feeling ever. I put it right up there with the birth of my first child, honestly. <laughs> okay. Stop the count, the president shouted at Twitter this morning. People are listening. Crowds are threatening places where votes are still being counted in swing states, and an eager group of supporters is backing him. But among the people who matter, no one is heeding the call. Not for the first time in his presidency, although perhaps never more decisively, Donald Trump has run up against something he cannot control. He is a paper tiger who is at his most fearsome when he is ordering subordinates around but has never managed to figure out how to work within the system of government. Now, that is from a news article, not from one of the fringy, um, you know, fake newsy articles. It's actually from the Atlantic Monthly, which is one of the most respected and oldest U.S. magazines. And what it gets at, and I think you'll agree, is it shows that the most powerful man in the Western world actually has and has had very little power where it really matters. And I think it's even become more obvious. This, this article is about a week old, a week on. It's even more obvious, isn't it? See, for all his power, President Trump has been powerless to control the inevitable outcome of the election. But more urgently and more importantly, I guess, is he's been unable to control the outbreak of coronavirus, which continues to get worse and worse. He's been powerless to unite his own nation, his people. The U.S. is more divided than ever. But perhaps most of all, in Trump, we meet a man who has really been powerless to change himself. Yeah, you agree? He's been powerless to control himself, powerless to be and act in a way that is fitting for the U.S. president, a way that shows character and integrity, or in the words of our pastor John Piper, he is a man who is unrepentantly immoral sexually, unrepentantly boastful, unrepentantly vulgar, unrepentantly factious or divisive. Well, today, God wants us to pray for power, but to pray for a kind of power entirely different to the power that we've seen in the American president, particularly a president like Trump. Power where it really matters. So on to my first point, why pray for power? Because, look, all of the topics in the other topics of this series on praying with God seem a lot more obvious, right? This one's a bit puzzling. I mean, I wonder how many of you here have actually ever prayed for more power for yourself or for others. Well, as we look deeper into uh, the bit that Brendan read for us in Ephesians 3, hope you will see that maybe what you're missing in your life, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, but even if you're not, what you're missing in your life is precisely because you haven't or don't pray for power enough. Now, that, this may be the prayer that will make a key difference in your life. Now, let's go to the end of the passage. Let me show you why we want to pray for power. What's the goal? Look at verse 19, the second half. It says, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the goal. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness. It's a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to rephrase it as that you may be fully filled full with God. All right? 
fully filled full with God. Now, what does that mean? Well, ask yourself the question, when have we seen human beings fully filled full with God and in their relationship with God? Where, where do we see that in the Bible? There's really only two places we see it. The first place is in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, the first man and woman before sin, before the fall. I mean, they were fully and perfectly a human reflection of God. They were in perfect relationship with God. They were shining with the glory of God fully in all that they were and all that they did in Eden. That's the first one. But in the second place we see it in the Bible where someone was fully fooled full with God is in, of course, Jesus, the new Adam, the perfect Adam. He was and always will be Feel fully filled full with God because he is the perfect man. So in other words, you see where this is getting at? The prayer for power has the end goal that we might be all that we were created to be. You got that? That's the end goal of this prayer for power, that we would be the human beings that God created us to be, that we were redeemed to be, that we might become like Adam and Eve were supposed to be but couldn't be, that we would become like Jesus, the new Adam, which is why he saved us. There is a divine makeover, you see, that is prepared for each of us that will truly fill us, that will truly fulfill us. And if you ever, like I do often, and maybe we should all at least weekly during confession at church together, if you've ever longed to be more like the people that God created you and saved you to be, then you've got to be praying this prayer, don't you? Because, because of sin, the Bible says, because of how broken we are and how broken this world is, to become like that takes nothing short of the supernatural power of God. Now, it's so evident, isn't it, when you look at Trump and any person of political power, any kind of influence in the world who is able to control and command others and yet unable to control themselves. And how many celebrities we know, right, who have so much influence and yet their lives are so ruined, so broken, and they just can't change themselves. See, that's the kind of power that God wants to give you and me, and He won't give it unless we seek it and pray for it. And so maybe today this prayer will be the beginning that we all need. So we're going to get into it. Let me pray and ask God to help us do that. Father, we pray with this prayer for power as we model ourselves after this incredible prayer that today, firstly, you would give us the power to understand, the power to change. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are we praying for? Let's have a look at this prayer. Keep your Bibles open or have a look on the digital outlines. Um, the prayer has two main requests, right? two main things he's asking God for, and they both have to do with power. You see that, don't you? Let's have a look at the passage again. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, here's the first one, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, here's the second, may have power, together with all the God's holy people, to grasp, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, so the first one, we are praying 
for the power of Christ in us. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has already said so much about what God has done for his people through Christ. Um, that's what the for this reason at the beginning of verse 14 points to. It's all that he's already spoken of in chapters 1 to 3. And obviously, we don't have time to go through it all, but here's a quick summary. In Ephesians 1, we find out that through Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing. Everything worth having, we already have spiritually in Jesus. What are they? We've been chosen. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been adopted as God's children. We've been given His Holy Spirit. We've been given a new hope. That's all in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we find out that through Jesus, we've been saved by grace, not by good works. And then through Jesus, later in chapter 2, both Jews and non-Jews are both saved and brought into a, become a miraculously new people. Together we become like the temple, the dwelling place of God, all right? So Ephesians 1 to 3, in summary, is like a drone flight. You've seen drone footage? They're great, aren't they? It gives you that glorious bird's eye view from up high. And it's trying to show you everything that God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And now he prays. And this first prayer for power is that this same Jesus who did all that for us would really take residence in your lives. Now, verse 17, when it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, we are not talking about when Jesus first comes into your life when you became a Christian. Now, that's not what this one means. Yes, Jesus does come into your life when you become a Christian, but this is talking about something else. This is talking about the way that Jesus needs to really take up residence in all the areas of your life. And that's something that doesn't just happen once. It's something that actually continues to need to happen through a lifetime. It's a little bit like this. Um, some of you uh, have bought homes or apartments. So imagine a new homeowner buying a house or an apartment, but it's not the new off the plan type thing. It's actually one that's been lived in and maybe lived in for decades. And so they buy this house and they move in and it's pretty empty. So you're going to have to you know, fill it with furniture and so on. But there's also um, in this house... Lots that need to be fixed, okay, tinkered with. I mean, the shower is leaky, the bathrooms is very 90s style, there's paint peeling on the walls. But you bought it and it's yours. And so over the years, you begin to fix up bits in he here and there. So along the way, you update the decor, you buy the furniture that you really like, the, the look and the feel you want it to be. Then years later, right, you finally look around the house and you think to yourself, yeah, now that feels like home. Now, that's kind of like what it's like for Jesus to take up residence in our lives. See, when we're converted, Jesus finds, well, he, he comes into our lives into, to make a home, but he finds his new home, us, quite frankly, in pretty bad shape, yeah? I mean, it's like cobwebs and broken pieces everywhere. But then over the years, by his Holy Spirit, growing our faith in him, Jesus surely, but slowly but surely, he cleans, he renovates our hearts. All right, he's getting rid of old habits and old sins. He's exposing idols. He floods areas of our lives with what's new and beautiful and godly instead. And, and that process takes time. And it's often painful and refining. It's often through suffering and struggle through ups and downs. But the result is that Jesus changes more and more of our lives as we surrender more and more of ourselves to Him. In other words, He begins to fill our lives full with God, fully filled full with God, that we might become the people He created us and saved us to be. And in verse 16, it says, This takes place in our inner beings. 
What does that mean? Well, 2 Corinthians 4 says it's the inner being that is renewed day by day, even though outwardly we are wasting away. It's the part of us that's eternal, the part of us that counts the most. Now, if you've ever seen Jesus do that kind of work in a person, making a person more and more beautiful and godly on the inside, even if outside they're you know, aging, as we all do, if you've ever seen that beautiful transforming work, you will desperately want it for yourself. I'm going to show you a video of Joni Erickson Tata. She was paralyzed at the age of 17. Have a look at this video and what she says. Hi, I'm Johnny, and I am shaking my head wondering, how did I get here? 52 years in a wheelchair is a, a long time. I mean, even Jesus thinks so. In John chapter 5, the Lord was at the pool of Bethesda, remember that? And he stopped by a man on a straw mat who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says, quote, when Jesus learned he had been in this condition for a long time, that's what it says in verse 6. And when I read those words, a long time, I mean, tears filled my eyes. Because man, if Jesus thinks that 38 years of paralysis is a long time, what's he think of 52 years? Yeah, I think he probably says it's a long time. And so do I. And yes, every day I'm wasting away. Uh, you've heard about the recurring cancer and those new problems with my lungs and pain. And our bodies are just fragile. But I am still on the growing side, the strong side. Because like the Bible says, I, I'm growing in two directions at the same time. Outwardly, I'm wasting away. But inwardly, man, I'm being renewed day by day. My body may be unraveling, but my spirit, my, my, my measure of faith, and my assurance of salvation, my sensitivity to sin, my confidence in the Word of God, my hope of heaven, compassion for others with disabilities, my love of Jesus, everything about my spirit is growing. Sure, I'm weaker physically, but I grow stronger spiritually. Deep, great trials bring with them deep grace from God all of which enlarges our soul's capacity for Jesus. And that's what I'm celebrating on my accident anniversary. So join me in the celebration. Help me here at Johnny and Friends, would you? Share this wonderful message of being renewed in Christ day by day. Help me share with many more people with disabilities all around the world. God bless you for listening and caring and being a part of Johnny and Friends. I remember uh, Francis Chan, when he came a few years ago to speak, he said that he can't be in the presence of Johnny and not be reduced to tears. That every time he's in her presence, he is in tears. Because you meet her, and I've never met her, I would love to meet her. You see that, don't you? Outwardly, you're wasting away, but inwardly, she's growing more and more like Jesus and more and more beautiful. Do you want this? Do you want to be like that? I do. But you see, it's not going to happen without the greatest power in the universe at work, is it? It's not going to happen without the greatest power of the universe at work. It's easy, easy to change your appearance, easy to change your job, change your postcode, change your friends, change your social status, change how you present yourself to others. You can change all that. It's impossible to change your own heart, is it? 
I mean, if you've ever despaired like I have at my own brokenness and sin, have you ever longed to be all that God wants you to be and made you to be beautiful and whole on the inside? If you want any of that, then you need to pray for power. That's the only thing that's going to bring it about. The power of Christ in us. Next, what about the power to experience Christ's love? That's the second prayer for power, verse 18. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I want you to know this is not a separate prayer. Not second, totally different prayer unrelated to the first. No, it's actually the way that the first prayer for power happens. How is it going to happen? See, Christ will have more of our hearts and change more of our inner being to the extent that we experience more of His love for us. You got that? It's by experiencing His love that He will take more residence in our hearts. And here's really where words will not suffice because I cannot really express what you really need to know at this point. Because this love is not something that we need to pray that we just know better. Okay, verse 18, the prayer is that we be able to grasp or comprehend. There's a difference between just knowing something versus truly grasping, truly comprehending it. Like, I think you know the difference if you've ever um, moved to a different country and tried to learn a different language and culture. Have you ever tried to do that? Like, you know, migrated to another country or lived long-term in another country you know, you may know some of the language, you may know something about the people, but at some point, um, and our missionaries all know this, at some point, it, it, it then clicks for you. Oh, now I really get them. I really understand this culture. Now I really feel like I'm, you know, there's a difference between knowing stuff versus grasping, right? Or making a new friend. At some point, you go from just knowing stuff about this person to really getting them, right? That's the difference here. And this is why in verse 19, this is a love, it says, that surpasses, goes beyond, it's much bigger than knowledge itself. You can't just have head knowledge of this love. See, he's really talking about an experience. You've got to experience Jesus' love. Experience how wide and long and high and deep it is. Now, I could try to explain it with words in terms that you might already know. And if I did, I'd say something like, Jesus' love is so high it reached from the highest heavens to you. His love is so deep that he went down into the deepest, darkest hell for your sins. Or that his love is so wide as the distance between one nailed hand to another. Or his love is so long that it will stretch into eternity itself and will never let you go. Or I might use the words of Psalm 103, which says that His love for us is as high as the heavens are above the earth, that His forgiveness for us takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. I could try to try and impress you with more description, more words, more reasons, but in the end, they are not enough, are they? Words are not going to be enough because the whole point of this is that you need to experience this love, really experience it, and I am powerless to create that experience. You need to hear the personal word of Jesus today say to your heart where you are, I love you. I love you. I love you. And when you experience Jesus' love like that, there's nothing like it, is there? Now, people will express that feeling, experience differently. 
And by no means is this the only way, but often, it really is often experienced with tears, okay, or expressed with tears. I've seen the least emotional people reduced to a blubbering mess when they've come face to face with Jesus' love. Have you seen that before? Are you one of those people? And so many accounts of the history of revivals, and you know that revival is one of the things I deeply am passionate about. Well, the history of revival shows how when the Spirit of God comes to a group of people, tears will pool on the ground. Like literally, they will describe how there's tears just pools, puddles on the ground, the sound of weeping and rejoicing mingle together in a beautiful, messy symphony as people grasp the amazing love of Jesus. It was in the Welsh revival of 1904-1905 that above all else, people experienced Jesus' love afresh. And the gospel converted millions like wildfire. And guess what was the song that was called the love song of the Welsh revival? It's actually one we know pretty well. We're going to sing it as a response later on this one. You know it, don't you? Here is love white as the ocean. Loving kindness as a flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us His precious blood, who His love will not remember, who can cease to sing His praise, He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Remember verse 19, all of this praying for power is that we can be fully filled full with God. Which means that the heart of what it means to live a full life is to live the life of someone who really knows how much Jesus loves them. You cannot live a full life, a satisfied life, a fulfilled life, unless you know how much Jesus loves you and you grasp that. There's nothing else that we need more than to really grasp and experience His love. And I just wonder, as you're listening today, how many of you are trying to do life without this experience? Maybe you are not yet a follower of Jesus and you spend your life ignoring God. Or maybe you think you're a follower of Jesus, but really it's just religion and morals, but no relationship. And so you're feeling restless in life. You're directionless. You're guilt-ridden. You need to experience Jesus' love. And you can today because He is saying to you, I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. Or maybe you're one of those whose love for Jesus has grown cold. As serving and obeying has just become a duty. The church is just going through the motions. You're feeling spiritually flat, spiritually dry, unmotivated. Well, experiencing afresh the love of Christ and His heart for you. Like when you first grasped it, do you remember that? When you first grasped His love for you, maybe a long time ago. Isn't that exactly what you need to jumpstart your Christian life? It is, isn't it? Or those of you who are battling with habitual sin... Whether it's anger or lust or greed or addictions or jealousy or envy or bitterness. Have you ever tried to change yourself out of your habitual sins? Have you just just tried harder? Self-help, motivated by fear or pride. It just doesn't work, does it? If you've tried, it doesn't work. Well, what would happen if you really knew today that you are extravagantly loved by Jesus in spite of all your repeated failures? What would happen if His love could so melt your heart and change what you actually desire that these sins no longer will have the same power over your life? Or those of you living in deep darkness of depression or fear or anxiety and despair, 
if you could experience today how much God loves you in spite of how you're feeling, how much He's holding you, how He'll never let you go, how precious you are to Him. If you could only experience that afresh today. See, a powerful and deep experience of Jesus' love really is what we need right now, every single day, in fact, in every season of life. See, how, much, how might experiencing Jesus' love transform the way we love and sacrifice for others, especially when we feel like there's nothing more to give? How might it change the way we actually are willing, maybe, finally, to lay down the bitterness and forgive someone who's wronged us if you knew how much He loved you and forgave you? How much would His love lead you to be more bold, to share this love to others, no matter the fear of rejection. You see, Swear Church, I've become more convinced, especially as I prepared this sermon, that there is actually nothing more that we need as a church right now than to live and soak and revel in Jesus' love for us. There's nothing more important than that. But in order to really experience it, it will take nothing short of supernatural power which I hope you see means that this prayer is just so important, isn't it? Quick final point. Who are we praying to? Prayer works not because of the person who is praying, but because of the God you're praying to. You know that, right? Like if you pray to a false God, no amount of prayer or chanting can make an ounce of difference. Now, why prayer works for the Christian is not just because God is truly there. He's not an idol, man-made. It's also because of three things about God, all right? This is going to be just, I can only skim through this. There'll be another sermon another time. But three things about God make Christian prayer unique and, and actually work. Number one, God is our Father. Number two, God is able. Number three, God is willing, right? God is our Father. He is able. He is willing. Those three things are the reason why our prayers matter to God and have power. Now, it's another sermon for another time. I'd love to spend time talking about those three things, but I want to show you how those three things are all there in this passage. Firstly, God is our Father. Verse 14, how does it start? I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Right, Jesus said that even our imperfect earthly dads know how to give good gifts. How much more your perfect Father in heaven? You see how it matters? If God is our Father, this is why He hears our prayers and He loves to hear our prayer. God is both able and willing. Those are the other two things. Well, we see that here too, don't we? Verse 16, out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with His power. Right? He's got an excess of power. He's got loads of power to give. He's able. And then back in Ephesians 1, this is the power that is nothing less than the power that raised Jesus from the dead and brought Jesus back to life and put him in heaven at God's right hand. This is the able God. He's got so much power that he wants to give and he wants to give it. So the last few verses of this chapter, what does he end this prayer with? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, all right? He's able and He's willing to do more than we ask or imagine. According to His power that is at work in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. If this prayer has shown you today your need for this kind of power in your life, again, God won't give it unless we pray it. 
All right, God will not give it to us. He wants us to be begging Him, interceding for he, ourselves and others for this kind of power, and He will withhold it until we ask for it. But know this, if you ask for it, our Father in heaven loves nothing more than to give it to you, than to give us this kind of power, power to have Jesus' love fill us so much and change us so much that we become the people He created us to be. So will you do this? Will you ask Him for power? Let's pray. I'll get the band up. Get ready to sing. We ask you, our Heavenly Father, that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us today with power through our inner beings by your Spirit so that Jesus may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that being rooted in Established in love, we may have power today, right now, to experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.